Vasamsi Junani Yatavi Haya Navani Grananti Naro Purani. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna gives this analogy of how our bodies are like a set of clothing. We give shape to them because we're inside them. And at some point, they wear out. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you wear your clothes for a while. And somehow or other, they just wear out. They don't have that new feeling anymore. And you just get tired of wearing them. And they may just not be appropriate anymore. And then you have to get new clothes. We've all had that happen, right? So Krishna says in the same way, we get various bodies that are just like clothes. And when the body gets worn out and we get disgusted with it, or when the warranty runs out, the time span that we're allowed to stay in the body wears out, then we have to get a new set. And that process of getting a new set is one of the most avoided topics in human society. It is summarily called death. And people have uh, scanty information about what death is. In some cultures, it uh, feels good or people feel good by worshiping death. That's where All Hallowed Eve or Halloween comes from. The idea of dancing skeletons and so forth. We sort of dance around the issue or try to face it in various cultural ways in order to come to terms with what it means. And modern psychologists have described how it's one of the topics that most vexes the minds of people in general. And they've given the opinion that most of the kinds of things that we do in life are to avoid thinking about it and talking about it. Lots of distraction and never coming to the point of actually asking the question, what does it mean? What is death? Why do we have to die? And what actually takes place when we die? However, Krishna gives a summary of this in the Bhagavad Gita, as I just indicated in one verse, and there are many more in which he describes through analogy and through describing what actually happens and why it happens, a series of verses and instructions. And in the Srimad Bhagavatam, we're given an even closer look at what death is and what it's like when it takes place. What's more, there's also a description of what it's like to be born. In fact, we get to go inside the womb and be an eyewitness of the little soul inside the body who's now getting a new body and then comes to consciousness in the womb and realizes what's actually happening. So this morning we'll take a short journey through the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam to string together some of the sections in which Krishna and his devotees talk about death. So if you weren't in the mood for it, now's a good time 
to go in the parking lot and get a game of cricket or football going. One of the most profound uh, conversations I've heard, once I was driving somewhere, hopefully to the temple, and I was listening to one of Prabhupada's conversations, and it stuck in my mind so much that I thought I'd pass it on to you. And it goes like this. It was in Honolulu, 1976. Devotee. So if we have to wake again, then there's no really, why should we have to stop birth and death? As Prabhupada had been describing that dying is like going to sleep for some time. So the devotee's playing devil's advocate. And Prabhupada, so you have no experience? Do you sleep perpetually whole day and night? Why do you wake up? Is it not your experience that you sleep at night and wake up at daytime? Devotee, yes. But if I'm going to wake up again, then why should I want to stop it? I go to sleep, I wake up. Prabhupada, no, but you're waking. You're going to wake up like a dog. That is the privilege. You sleep perpetually, not perpetually, for seven months. And then you wake up as a dog. The body is changed. And go on barking. That you do not know. That is ignorance. Pushed to Krishna. That's amazing. You go to sleep in a human body and you wake up in a dog's body. Prabhupada, ah, that's it. Devotee wakes up the next morning. I'm not afraid to go to sleep because I know that I will wake up. So if I'm going to die, and I know Prabhupada, die means you sleep as a man and wake up as a dog. That is dying. So the part that stuck in my mind was Pushta Krishna Prabhu's uh, exclamation after Prabhupada said, he said, if you hear the tape, you'll understand that it really hit his ear too. He said, oh, you go to sleep as a man, wake up as a dog. And it reminded me of a story I read in my childhood about a man who wakes up as a cockroach. And it, it quite alarmed me, actually, that story. I think it was a cockroach, or maybe it was a centipede. Somebody can check on that. But he was trying to figure out all his legs and arms. Famous author. And there's a stark reality to death, and that is it's, it's not a joking matter, or it's not to be taken lightly, because when you do go to sleep, uh, or you die, you transfer to another body, and at that point, it's out of your hands. A devotee who had uh, um, been arrested for trespassing solicitation, pretty common <laughs> offense amongst devotees, the, he recalled being put in the back of the paddy wagon after having been handcuffed. And there's a sense, once your hands are behind your back, and then you're being pushed into a paddy wagon. And where am I going? Don't worry about it. You're just going. And there's nothing you can do about it at that point. And he, re he recalled to me the feeling of helplessness that he had at that point. It's like, now it's out of my hands. 
Previously, I could have done something about it, but now it's out of my hands. So, uh, although death isn't final in any way, because we're eternal, still there's a finality to the destination that we're going next. And the only time that we can do something about it is before we go into the death throes. Because even then, it's a little late because whatever we've cultivated throughout our lifetime will generally manifest quite strongly in the last days. It's hard to turn it around, so to speak, that is our habits and our way of thinking and what we're attracted to in the, at the last moment. Just as Prabhu this morning brought up about taking a test, when you go in, you don't do it two minutes before they tell you to put everything away and pick up a number two pencil. You do it weeks before, months before, hopefully you're on track when you walk in. So it's like a final exam. And Prabhupada brought our attention to this again and again, talking about how serious it is, uh, or how seriously we should take it, because that's the final exam. Parikshit Maharaj, who's the protagonist in the <coughs> Srimad Bhagavatam then is tested, and he has seven days to do his last preparation uh, for that final exam. And Shukadeva Goswami is telling him everything that he should have in his consciousness at that time when he leaves the body. So the first section I'm going to read from is in the third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, starting at the 31st chapter, so 331. And for those of you who have read this chapter, you know that it is an eye-opener. And for those who haven't, you'll see why others may think that. This one's called Lord Kapila's Instructions on the Movements of the Living Entities. The Supreme, the Personality of God had said, this is Kapila Dev speaking too. Correct. Under the supervision of the Supreme Lord and according to the result of his work, the living entity, the soul, is made to enter the womb of a woman through the particle of male semen to assume a particular type of body. On the first night, the sperm and ovum mix, and on the fifth night, the mixture ferments into a bubble. On the tenth night, it develops into a form like a plum, and after that, it gradually turns into a lump of flesh or an egg, as the case may be. In the course of a month, a head is formed, and at the end of two months, the hands, feet, and other limbs take shape. By the end of three months, the nails, fingers, toes, body, body hair, bones, and skin appear, as do the organ of generation and the other apertures in the body, namely the eyes, nostrils, ears, mouth, and anus. Within four months from the date of conception, the seven essential ingredients of the body, namely chyle, that's spelled C-H-Y-L-E, please look it up, blood, flesh, fat, bone, marrow, and semen 
come into existence. At the end of five months, hunger and thirst make themselves felt. In the end of six months, the fetus, enclosed by the amnion, begins to move on the right side of the abdomen. What is it? Chyle is a milky fluid consisting of fat droplets and lymph. It drains from the lacteals of small intestine into the lymphatic system during digestion. There you have it. Deriving its nutrition from the food and drink taken by the mother, the fetus grows and remains in the abdominal resonance. In that abominable resonance of stools and urine, which is the breeding place of all kinds of worms bitten again and again all over the body by the hungry worms in the abdomen itself. The child suffers terrible agony because of his tenderness. He thus becomes unconscious moment after moment because of the horrible, the terrible condition. Owing to the mother's eating bitter, pungent foodstuffs or food which is too salty or too sour, the body of the child incessantly suffers pain, pains which are almost intolerable. Placed within the amnion and covered outside by the intestines, the child remains lying on one side of the abdomen, his head turned towards his belly, and his back and neck arched like a bow. The child thus remains just like a bird in a cage, without freedom of movement. At that time, if the child is fortunate, he can remember all the troubles of his past 100 births, and he grieves wretchedly. What is the possibility of peace of mind in that condition? A prophet's purport. After birth, the child may forget about the difficulties of his past lives. But when we are grown up, we can at least understand the grievous tortures undergone at birth and death by reading the authorized scriptures like Srimad Bhagavatam. Text 10. Thus, endowed with the development of consciousness from the seventh month after his conception, the child is tossed downward by the airs that press the embryo during the weeks preceding delivery. Like the worms born of the same filthy ab 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 abdominal cavity, he cannot remain in one place. The living entity in this frightful condition of life, bound by seven layers, of material ingredients, prays with folded hands, appealing to the Lord who has put him in that condition. The human soul says, I take shelter of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who appears in various eternal forms and walks on the surface of the world. I take shelter of him only because he can give me relief from all fear, and from him I have received this condition of life which is just befitting my impious activities. I, the pure soul, appearing now bound by my activities, am lying in the womb of my mother by the arrangement of Maya. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him who is also here with me, but who is unaffected and changeless. He is unlimited, but he is perceived in the repentant's heart. To him, I offer my respectful obeisances. 
And in the purport, Prabhupada comments on the word atapyamana hridaye vasitam. He said, it is said here, atapyamana hridaye vasitam. He is in the heart of every living entity, but he can be realized only by a soul who is repentant. The individual soul becomes repentant that he forgot his constitutional position, wanted to become one of the, with the Supreme Soul and tried his best to lord it over material nature. He has been baffled and therefore he is repentant. At that time, the super soul or the relationship between the super soul and the individual soul is realized. As it is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, after many, many births, the knowledge comes to the conditioned soul that Vasudeva is great. He is master and he is Lord. The individual soul is the servant and therefore he surrenders unto him. At that time he becomes a Mahatma, a great soul. Therefore a fortunate living being who comes to this understanding, even within the womb of his mother, has his liberation assured. Text 14. I am separated from the Supreme Lord because of my being in this material body which is made of five elements, and therefore my qualities and senses are being misused, although I am essentially spiritual. Because the Supreme Personality of God it is transcendental to material nature and the living entities, because he is devoid of such a material body, and because he is always glorious in his spiritual qualities, I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. The human soul further prays. The living entity is put under the influence of material nature and continues a hard struggle for existence on the path of repeated birth and death. This conditional life is due to his forgetfulness of his relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, without the Lord's mercy, how can he again engage in the transcendental loving service of the Lord? No one other than the Supreme Personality of Godhead as the localized Paramatma, the partial representation of the Lord, is directing all inanimate and animate objects. He is present in the three phases of time, past, present, and future. Therefore, the conditioned soul is engaged in different activities by his direction. And in order to get, in order to get free from the threefold miseries of this conditional life, we have to surrender unto him only. Fallen into a pool of blood, stool and urine within the abdomen of his mother, his own body scorched by the mother's gastric fire, the embodied soul, anxious to get out, counts his months and prays. O oh my Lord, when shall I, a wretched soul, be re released from this confinement? My dear Lord, by your causeless mercy, I am awakened to consciousness although I am only 10 months old. From this causeless mercy of the Supreme Personality of God, the friend of all fallen souls, there is no way to express my gratitude but to pray with folded hands. The living entity in another type of body sees only by instinct. He knows only the agreeable and disagreeable sense perceptions of that particular body, but I have a body in which I can control my senses and can understand my destination. Therefore, I offer my respectful obeisances to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, by whom I have been blessed with this body and by whose grace I can see him without, within and without.
Therefore, my Lord, although I am living in a terrible condition, I do not wish to depart from my mother's abdomen to fall again into the blind well of materialistic life. Your external energy, called Deva Maya, at once captures the newly born child and immediately false identification, which is the beginning of the cycle of continual birth and death, begins. This next verse, 21, it contains the phrase surida atmana, which means with friendly intelligence. Therefore, without being agitated anymore, I shall deliver myself from the darkness of nations with the help of my friend, clear consciousness. Simply by keeping the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu in my mind, I shall be saved from entering into the wombs of many mothers for repeated births and deaths. Prabhupada comments in the purport, we do not know where the suffering, soul, suffering ends. It does not end, however, by one's changing his body. The change of body is taking place at every moment. But that does not mean that we are improving from the fetal condition of life to a more comfortable condition. The best thing, therefore, is to develop Krishna consciousness. Text 22. Lord Kapila continued, the ten-month-old living entity has these desires even while in the womb. But while he thus extols the Lord, the wind that helps parturition propels him forth with his face turned downward so that he may be born. Pushed downward all of a sudden by the wind, the child comes out with great trouble, head downward, breathless and deprived of memory, due to severe agony. The child thus falls on the ground, smeared with stool and blood, and plays just like a worm germinated from the stool. He loses his superior knowledge and cries under the spell of Maya. After coming out of the abdomen, the child is given to the care of persons who are unable to understand what he wants, and thus he is nursed by such persons, unable to refuse whatever is given to him he falls into undesirable circumstances. Laid down on a foul bed infested with sweat and germs, the poor child is incapable of scratching his body to get relief from his itching sensation, to say nothing of sitting up, standing, or even moving. In his helpless condition, gnats, mosquitoes, bugs, and other germs bite the body, whose skin is tender, just as smaller worms bite a big worm. The child, deprived of his wisdom, cries bitterly. In the purport, Prabhupada writes, owing to various kinds of disturbances and being out of the abdomen, the child cannot remember what he was thinking of for his salvation. It is assumed that even if a person acquires some spiritually uplifting knowledge, circumstantially he is prone to forget. 28. In this way, the child passes through his childhood suffering different kinds of distress and attains boyhood. In boyhood also, he suffers pain over desires to get things he can never achieve. And thus, due to ignorance, he becomes angry and sorry. With the growth of the body, the living entity, in order to vanquish his soul, increases his false prestige and anger and thereby creates enmity toward similarly lusty people.
By such ignorance, the living entity accepts the material body, which is made of five elements, as himself. With this misunderstanding, he accepts non-permanent things as his own and increases his ignorance in the darkest region. For the sake of the body, which is a source of constant trouble to him and which follows him because he is bound by ties of ignorance and fruit of activities, he performs various actions which cause him to be subjected to repeated birth and death. So I'll take it up at a later section of the, uh, of the same chapter in a moment, uh, starting with text number 43 through 48. But this is a, a detailed explanation given by the Bhagavatam of the way a soul, a, a jiva, comes into the womb of a mother. Karmana daivanetrenat jantur deho papatehe. Sriya pravishta udaram pumsareta kanashraya. There's a, uh, a particle of consciousness. It is there within the sperm, and then it enters into the egg, and it goes through this process of developing a new body. And of course, this is uh, described as karma. Karmana daiva netrena. Daiva means it's by superior arrangement. It doesn't happen by chance. Uh, nor is it mathematically possible for the, the various phases of development to take place by chance. It's been proven. And so uh, once the child comes to consciousness uh, within the womb, if he's fortunate, then he remembers a hundred past lives. And there's a liminal period before he leaves the womb and before and he comes out during which he's repentant for blowing it so many times. That's why we hear in the song Jeev Jago, Lord Chaitanya is calling out to the souls and saying, Remember that. You you already promised. You're in the womb. You said, I'll definitely serve you. But then you forgot because material nature is so hard to overcome. So although the intention is there and the prayers are coming from that soul within the womb, there's a way that when he or she comes out, lights, camera, action. New life. New distraction. New identification with a new body. And all the evidence is so convincing that, you know, you belong here. This is you. You're your body. And we're your family members. Although everyone's playing a part in the drama created by Maya or Karma. Everyone has their role to play. And then the living being gets entranced by it and goes through the various phases of life and ends up again in the body. Stopping over in Thailand, once I saw a Buddhist book which described that a living entity has taken so many births in the material world. You can count 311 trillion years as one kalpa. Been here for trillions of kalpas. How many bodies did one soul get? Doing the same routine again and again. Well, said the book, enough so if you piled up 
the skeletons from all those bodies, both animal and human, plant, it would create a mountain that would be so high that it would block out the sun from one living entity. This is uh, ignorance, the repeated birth and death that the uh, soul unnecessarily goes through because of being attracted by the external energy and getting caught in the gears. And it's one of the prayers, Nishpijamanam Upakarsha Vibho Prapannam. Prahlad Maharaj says, I don't want to get caught in that again. I'm afraid of it. There's a machine in the kitchen in New Dwarka that mixes a lot of dough at one time and it has big metal paddles on it. And the devotees there warned us, don't get your hand caught in that. You got to be really attentive while you're using it. Because if you accidentally get your hand caught in it, then it'll grab your arm and break it into, well, I won't go into details. <laughs> it's happened though. <laughs> so the material world, Prahlad Mars said, it's like a huge grinding wheel. Don't think, I'll just look the other way for a minute. If you get your little finger caught in there, or even your tie, nobody wears ties anymore, uh, you get your shoelace from your Nikes caught in there uh, when you go to casual day at work, and then it'll just pull you right in, and you'll get ground up by it, He's, Prahlad Maharaj says. So be careful. So now we have some of the details of the grinding process of what actually happens. So then we take it up again. I will take a, a short break in a second. Yes. Um, thank you, Shila Gurudev, for the session. And uh, I have two questions, actually. The, so first, you said um, the one who is fortunate can remember hundreds of his lifetime when, when uh, the living entity is um, born and um, when the living entity is in the womb. So how is, he, how is he fortunate to remember hundreds of lifetimes? How is it fortunate? Yeah. yeah. Because then you can, you're, you're seeing things as they are, and in that state you're able to offer prayers. Okay. Um, so um, every... You feel repentant. Every living entity um, prays like this, or is just... Fortunate ones. Only <laughs> I underlined it twice in the book because this is a perennial topic that comes up. And I remember giving a class once and then someone came rushing in saying, no, no, only fortunate ones because it's mentioned in there. If you'd like me to go back to that verse, I'll see what I underlined in the purport. It's text 9. Okay. And even text 13, Srila Prabhupada says, one who remembers like this, he, his liberation is assured. Who repents like this and the prophet's purport after birth the child may forget about the difficulties in his past lives but when we are grown up we can at least understand the grievous tortures undergone at birth and death by reading the authorized scriptures like Srimad Bhagavatam if we do not believe in the scriptures that is a different question but if we have faith in the authority of such descriptions then we must prepare for our freedom in the next life that is possible in this human form of life. One who does not take heed of these indications of suffering in human existence 
is said to be undoubtedly committing suicide, it is said that this human form of life is the only means for crossing over the nescience of maya or material existence. We have a very efficient boat in this human form of body, and there is a very expert captain, the spiritual master. The scriptural injunctions are like favorable winds. If we do not cross over the ocean of nescience, of material existence, in spite of these faculties, facilities rather, then certainly we are all intentionally committing suicide. In text 13, Ashra Prabhupada's in perfect text, so this text 9 was about fortunate living entity who remembers hundreds of past times, and in text 13, perfect at the end. Okay, I'll just read it. I, the pure soul, appearing now bound by my activities, am lying in the womb of my mother by the arrangement of Maya. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him who is also here with me, but who is unaffected and changeless. He is unlimited, but he is perceived in the repentant heart. To him I offer my respectful obeisances. Purport. As stated in the previous verse, the jiva soul says, I take shelter of the Supreme Lord. Therefore, constitutionally, the jiva soul is the subordinate servitor of the Supreme Soul, the Personality of Godhead. Both the Supreme Soul and the jiva soul are sitting in the same body, as confirmed in the Upanishads. They are sitting as friends, but one is suffering, and the other is aloof from suffering. In this verse, it is said, Vishuddham avikaram akandabodham. The Supersoul is always sitting apart from all contamination. The living entity is contaminated in suffering because he has a material body, but that does not mean that because the Lord is also with him, he also has a material body. He is avikaram, changeless. He is always the same supreme, but unfortunately, the Mayavadi philosophers, because of their impure hearts, cannot understand that the supreme soul, the super soul, is different from the individual soul. It is said here, Atta Yamana Rudayeva Sitam. He is in the heart of every living entity, but he can be realized only by a soul who is repentant. The individual soul becomes repentant that he forgot his constitutional position, wanted to become one with the Supreme Soul, and tried his best to lord it over material nature. His, he has been baffled, and therefore he is repentant. At, the, at that time, Super Soul, or the relationship between the Super Soul and the individual soul is realized. As it is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, after many, many births, the knowledge comes to the conditioned soul that Vasudeva is great. He is master and he is Lord. The individual soul is the servant and therefore he surrenders unto him. At that time he becomes a Mahatma, a great soul. Therefore a fortunate living being who comes to this understanding, even within the womb of his mother, has his liberation assured. And your, your question? So one who is uh, the living entity who are praying, is um, his liberation is assured, the fortunate one? Yeah, but he can forget again. I mean, we're in a marginal position, and what's indicated here is also that although somebody comes to consciousness, they can, by the force of the external manifestation of the senses, once they come out into the world, can also become forgetful and and not be able to take advantage of it immediately. 
Yes. Hare Krishna. I would like to know what is the nature of the soul? Kesha grashata bhagasya sharam shashadrishatmaka jiva sukshva sarupo yam sankhyatito hichitkana is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu describing to Rupa Goswami by quoting from the Upanishad says that the soul is one ten thousandth size the tip of a hair and he's chitkana, he's a particle of pure consciousness. So it's very tiny, like atomic in size, but it has the property of awareness, consciousness, eternality. As soul is part and parcel of Krishna. And Krishna describes Mamai Vamsho Jiva Loke Jiva Bhutta Sanatana. That this that little jiva is a, a part and parcel of Krishna. So just as Krishna is eternal, so the soul's eternal. So when you're born, you have a finger, hopefully, and it's part of your body. So as Krishna exists, we exist eternally as his parts. But because we're marginal, that's the other uh, description of the soul, is uh, given in the Vishnu Purana, describes that Vishnu Shakti Pura Prokta Shetra Gyakya Tatapara Avidya Karma Sangyangya Tritya Shakti Rishite. Three general energies of the Lord described here as the internal, the external, and marginal. So the soul is called Tatasta, or marginal potency, which means that the soul can cohort with the material energy or the spiritual energy. Although the, in, the external energy is inferior, the soul can try to get cozy down here and struggle or can be transported back to the spiritual energy. Krishna, so, so spake Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Rupa Goswami. Go ahead, Danavari. Uh, thank you, Guru Maharaj. Sorry to interrupt you. Please accept my humble obeisances to you, uh, Jai Srila Prabhupada. My question is, is it right understanding from this uh, reading that even though we go through so much trouble uh, in uh, like in womb and in for nine months and so on and on, but if we take human form of life, all these life, uh, previous uh, lives are worth uh, taking human form. And if we remember Krishna uh, or Lord, if we do bhakti, um, then it's all worth the trouble it's worth. Is this the right understanding? Then we don't mind taking like millions of births. Is it because we got human form and we are trying to remember Krishna, is this the right uh, understanding or conclusion? Please. Well, it's not ideal because it's a royal waste of time taking millions of bodies as an anteater and a mongoose. But there is a sense when one comes to full consciousness of repentance. Why did I waste so much time in the material world separating myself from my service? And then of course, from the human form of life, one can finish that as 
labvam sudulabam idam bahusam bhavante manusham artaram anityam apihadira. It's it's a rare opportunity, says the Bhagavatam, and you can take something that's anityam, or so anityam means it's not eternal, the body, but you can transform it into something that is eternal, which is you can go there. And Krishna gives this open invitation to everybody that you can move about the universe as you wish. When he says, Yanti Deva, Prita Devan, Pitran Yanti Pratirbhita, Bhutani Yanti Bhuteja, Yanti Mam Yajino Pimam. You're free to go wherever you want, little Jiva. You can go to the demigods, you can go to hell, you can go to the ball game, you can go back to Godhead. It's just what you put your mind your mind and heart into, and therefore Krishna advises us, manmana bhavamad bhakto. But it's not necessary that we go through all the different forms of life in order to come to that point, because Krishna already said, just stop now. That's why he, he so emphatically says in, in the Gita, sarvadharaman paritya mame kam sharanam give up all these other concoctions that you have about what I have to do first and just surrender to me, you can just shortcut the whole process. Thank you, Guru Maharaj. Looks so like my, San Diego, my... either that or you move to Mayapur. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Maharaj, can I ask one more related to this question? So is that okay if I quickly ask? Okay. Okay. So you, you mentioned uh, how do we, in other past life, we are so muda or we don't know, we are dull. How do we remember, uh, like we don't know what is good. And in so many lives, we from bottom, we came from animals to here. So how do we, we don't know what is good and all. So how, how do we like get out of in that life? Only this life we are remembering a little bit. Deep. So my, that's what my question Well, you can follow the Bhagavatam. Guru, Sanu, and Shastra. A person who is fortunate comes to this alignment with Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra and, and takes shelter of higher instruction. And rather than taking one's own concoctions about self-help, how to get out, you just take help from the Bhagavatam, the Gita, your Guru, and from all the Sadhus who can help you. And if you do that, then there's easy access. In fact, the material world becomes small enough that you can step over it in that case. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Mahatkritena kurvanti bhavabdim. Comes a little, like the hoof print of a calf, a little water in there. You step over. Vaikuntha Nayaka coming all the way from Mysore. So Maharaj, uh, my question was about the design of this material world. Um, I'm inclined to see, um, well, this thought came to me that um, in this world, the odds are stacked against us and there is a greater chance. The world is designed that uh, it offers us more chances to forget than the chances there are to remember. 
right? Um, we see in uh, Jadabharat's pastime that just one slip and uh, he goes off the track. And here also we see that, okay, uh, the Jivatma in the body is actually remembering, but he comes out and he forgets. So I was thinking, seems a bit unfair that there's not a 50-50 uh, chance of us exercising free will. It seems that there are greater chances of, it's designed in such a way that we have greater chances of forgetting. So is this observation correct? And if so, why would it be this way? It's, uh, it's designed according to my desire to forget. And to the degree that I want to remember, then I have a greater and greater opportunity to remember. That's why Krishna says in the Gita, it's not me, it's you. All people are on the same path. They have the same career opportunity. And it, it's the way that we have a responsibility for it also. And, and Krishna says, that the I'm, I'm not the one who put you in the situation, nor am I perpetuating it. You are, and what's the problem is ignorance. So when you come out of ignorance, then you'll see like, hey, there was actually no problem in the first place. So why is that? It's because Krishna is honoring our free will. And if he gave us a partial experience in the material world, then it wouldn't be a full exhibition of our free will. For instance, I want to forget completely. Then he has to give a complete opportunity for us to forget, including incidents that happen that seem like there is no God, because that's what I want. Therefore, he gives us such scenarios, and he stays out of sight, out of mind, very purposely to honor our objection to him being in control of everything and why can't I and so I want a divorce and therefore although he continues to send checks he makes sure his name's not on it and also that we don't even know that it's going in our bank account most people forget they're being maintained by the Supreme Personality of God because Krishna allows them and then they think oh I'm doing it I'm the maintainer and so forth so when we do come to knowledge, then there's even more appreciation that Krishna's given us a complete option. It's mentioned also prayers personified in the prayers by the personified Vedas that it's the greatest of pastimes of the Lord is to save the conditioned souls from the material world. And as we heard last week, actually, that's his full intention. It's not 50-50. It's 100% he wants us to come out of the material world. But he's so kind that he gives us the option. That if you want to be in Maya, then I'll, I'll make it so complete that you can live in that without um, having to come up for air for a long time, if that's what you wish. So when we do come to that realization, the contrast is so stark 
between ignorance and its biting quality and also its power that we don't feel like dabbling in both worlds. Because when we see how sticky material desires are, that they hold on to us, and we say, why didn't God make them easier? It's a, it's a lesson, actually, for us that the material world's a sticky place. And that human life means coming to consciousness of consequences, causality, and that is what the human brain is meant for. And you keep following that causality back and you find out that, yes, Krishna is the cause of all causes. I have a relationship with him, but I've defaulted on that relationship. And therefore, that gives us our free will back. That Now let me revive it. And it's the moment that there's that sense, then as we just read, you know, somebody's liberation is assured somebody who comes to that awareness that I want to surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he gives the, uh, the, the wherewithal to do so. And uh, there's a preponderance of evidence that uh, Krishna inordinately reaches out to such people, even if they take to Krishna consciousness and then they're, they're not able to complete it. He gives them forward progress. They start over in their next life. Or he's there to rectify any mistakes they make if they're sincere. That's all that's required. So paramulam bhajata priyasya taktanya bhavasya hare priyeshaha vikarma yachchot patitam katanchit tunoti sarvam hridi sanivishta. You take up devotional service, but you do some vikarma. Krishna rectifies it from within your heart so that you can keep going. It's not his fault. Yeah, we have to take responsibility. I'll just take a couple more. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, one from here, then one from the board. We'll just take a few more because I got a little more mileage to cover. Um, that, I mean, I, I had a comment to do, but I just wanted to mention about your answer to Prabhu's question is, I mean, you just feel that so much of gratitude you should have to someone who has, uh, who we have totally rejected and uh, is still taking care of us even without letting know who is that person, you know, that is, um, <laughs> that, that, that's just enough for us to surrender to Krishna, I felt. So my comment was when we were reading this, Prabhu, when I first read this chapter, um, I was in my second year in college uh, doing my master's and we had pediatrics. And in pediatrics, my uh, college mates, we were all discussing how Bhagavatam is explaining about uh, every bit. But in pediatric textbook outside world, till three months, there is no baby. So because of that, they do Planned Parenthood and abortion and things like that. So I was just thinking that how, um, you know, how much more, of course, we're giving a lot of Bhagavatams out, how much more awareness we have to create to the modern world uh, from our side because we really have this important information. I mean, just not in pediatrics, but I'm sure in every every walk of life. Um, I just was thinking about that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bhagavatam has everything. Okay, Bhakti Roman. Oh, Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, please accept my humble businesses. Uh, I was just uh, realizing as uh, I had one question as a super soul and our soul, they reside in one in one body. And as I understood the, uh, like what is the main obstacle uh, between those two 
uh, our soul and super soul in order to collect, uh, correct, you know, connect, reconnect directly. So our soul can get this uh, guidance directly from super, super soul. Is that our false ego, our mind is on the way in between those two? Yes. The uh, Bhagavatam Havyogendra says, Bhayam dviti abhini beshatasyad ishad apetasya viparya yosmiti tanmayata buddha abhijatam bhaktyaikayesham gurudevatatma that the, the problem is created by the individual soul being turned away from Krishna. He takes a, an adverse uh, attitude. Apetasya is turned away opposite direction. Uh, then viparyo means the wrong smriti. <laughs> he becomes wrong-headed and everything becomes opposite because he thinks then I'm a competitor to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And therefore fear arises, a fear of death, fear of, of shortage, of uh, scarcity. Economics is the study of scarcity, scarce resources. And then tadmayata buddha abhajetam paktyaika yesham gurudevatatma when one becomes inclined towards devotional service and then wants to reconnect, then all he has to do then is turn his or her attention back towards Krishna. And uh, he says, Bhaktyaika Yesham Guru Devatatma. You should do it for, through the Guru. Both commentators, they say, you see Krishna as Guru, you should also have a Guru and be one-pointed in serving your Guru because that way then you're reconnecting, you're expressing your uh, intention of facing Krishna, serving Krishna, no longer being no longer being a competitor but a servitor. So that's why it's important to have a little reminder. As you turn the wrong way, sir, please turn around. Thank you, Guru Maharaj. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Yes. Is that Shringara Rasa? Hare Krishna Shringara Rasa. Is that a palm tree behind you? That's a name of my memoir for the pandemic, speaking on mute. Are you on mute? It looks like a little red microphone. Sorry, Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Accept my humble obeisances. Done with the house. So it's a it's a bamboo plant. I was speaking behind the muted mic. Sorry. So uh, I had a um, I wanted to share a reflection that uh, the section that you read, thank you uh, for the class. And uh, I was thinking that how psych it, it so nicely explained the process of trauma in psychiatry and psychology. So trauma is talked about, but they only, only talk about trauma related to this life and how something happened, whatever happened in the childhood and it resulted in whatever personality or whatever problems you are having. But here how uh, Srimad Bhagavatam explains that this trauma is uh, not from one life, but this trauma we've been inflicting on ourselves life after life due to these uh, innumerable births and deaths that they, they've taken. And the real cause of trauma is uh, our forgetfulness of our relationship with Krishna. 
and how parents or anyone who inflicts trauma is just a is just a very very insignificant instrument in the hands of the bigger picture of destiny and material energy so uh so that's what i was thinking yeah it's an important point about the continuing trauma so sometimes people ask the question what use is karma if i can't remember everything and how is it didactic in that sense? And one of the ways of understanding it is that our memory is, uh, there are various kinds of memory, and one of them has to do with our overwhelming feeling, which can be described as trauma of being in the material world and experiencing again and again repeated birth and death. This is what Patanjali Muni describes in the Yoga Sutras as uh, abhinibeshita, which is absorption in trying not to die, clinging to life, life after life, is our main occupation, actually, from cradle to grave. I'm trying to avoid death, and I'm trying to distract myself in a lot of ways from it, because I'm so traumatized by it, it's the main thing that vexes me throughout my life. So we're kind of living in trauma until we get uh, reconnected with Krishna. Thank you. We may have to ask you more questions about the psychological literature for some standard points that are made by psychologists about memory and trauma. Gandharvika Radha, anybody else in the audience has a, a question lined up? Okay, you'll be the last one. Okay, go go ahead, Gandharvika. Uh, the main point that you made that uh, the consciousness of the human being should be used in analyzing the consequences and the casualties of his actions. Um, I think that if we if we just understand that one sentence, then it'll help stop us from implicating us in more and more karma. So that's a very loaded sentence and one lifetime could go in that sentence. But thank you for, for that, Prabhu. Yeah, the more mature somebody becomes, the more they think in terms of causality. Like a child just wants to play all day and doesn't think in terms of like, what will happen if I don't go to school? Um, and animals that are, their consciousness is more constricted uh, can't uh, trace out the origin of certain things. Like with a cat, if you take a little paper bird and tie it to a string and put it on a stick, you go around all day long, and the cat will only chase after the little paper bird without ever looking up the string and up the stick and then looking at you and going, like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you're the one doing this. It just thinks, there's a bird. I got to get it, got to get it, got to get it. And so human beings have the capability of tracing back. And it reminded me when I first joined the San Francisco temple and there was a, a Back to Godhead magazine and it had a picture of Krishna and it said, Krishna, Supreme Personality Godhead, the cause of all causes. And I remember looking at that and thinking, so that's it, <laughs> there's the cause of all causes. It goes back there, stop, that's it. <laughs> cause of all causes. Aparagarangi. 
Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, thank you so much for the class. So this question came up in my mind uh, while Danwari Mataji was asking a question that as devotees, what should be our mood? Like when we think of leaving this body, should we prepare that okay, we want to go back to Godhead or just be ready where Krishna or the spiritual master want us to go? That's described in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Naite Sriti Partajanan, Yogi Muyati Kashchana, Tasmat Sarvishu, Kaleshu, Mamanusmara Yujicha. I, th- I probably blew it. But the point that Krishna is making there at the end of the eighth chapter is the devotees are always absorbed in me and my service and dependent on me. Whereas there are people who are high minded and they're calculating that, wait a minute, I'm not my body. I have to leave the world at a certain time. There are auspicious and inauspicious times to do so. And they're very calculating in doing that. Krishna says, my devotees don't do that. They don't calculate when because they just depend on me. And Prabhupada writes in his purport that it doesn't matter how devotees leave the world. He said, even by accident, you know, some road accident happens and it's like, he dies. Like, how could that happen? It's like, hey, it's up to Krishna. After all, his whole family left by fresh astride of war. Krishna has his own ways of taking his devotees out of the world. So don't second guess the devotees. But we should plan ahead that we, we could die at any time. This is one of the points of the Bhagavatam, Narayana, Ante Narayana Smriti. Keep the end in mind. Put it at the top of your priority list. It'll change your life if you say, I'm prepared for death. Then a lot of other things come into perspective when I have that idea that what am I, what are we, am I ultimately doing here? What's my ultimate priority? Get ready for death. Then does this matter as much now? Not so much. But what I was just thinking was a big deal. I was about to get in a fit of road rage. And yes, Nirkula? Uh, hospice nurses and um, social workers who tend people at the time of death, even if they haven't had a spiritual uh, life, they will oftentimes put into words when, when they know they're getting ready to die and even not quite conscious, they'll say things like, I have to get ready for a trip and um, I'm not sure I have everything I need. When I was with your dad, he spoke about an exam. He said, I, I, I feel like I'm about to take an exam and I'm not sure I'm prepared. Yeah, so uh, there's, there is a, uh, when you're around people who are about to leave their body, and as you said, Nirkula, a lot of times when you're around living entities who are being born, right? Because you've done that a lot. There's uh, it's sort of a liminal space coming in, going out. Satyadev Prabhu said the same thing. Whenever he, whenever he hears an ambulance, whenever we're traveling anyway, he goes, somebody's checking in or checking out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a liminal space because... We've noted that even before you die, die, you, you kind of, there's a process of giving up the body. It's sort of the, starting with the verse uh, I said to, at the beginning, the, there's a way in which it's wearing out. My enchantment with the body is like, hey, you know, I can't stay here anymore. It's, I'm like, 
no dignity, disgusted. You kind of like die to the idea of having a body anyway and keeping it around. And there are stages of letting go of the body and having to separate from it. But it doesn't mean that then you get a spiritual body. You have to actually prepare for that. You have to know that uh, this life has the opportunity for me to um, reorient myself towards Krishna. And I should be careful. I just heard Prabhupada saying this the other day, warning. He said, Bharat Maharaj made a little mistake. And look, he had to take a couple more births. He said, so you have to be very careful. So we should be deliberate. We should be thinking, yes, I want to go back to Godhead. Yes, I want to think of Krishna at the time of death. Am I wasting any time? Or am I filling my brain and my heart with things that are contrary to that vibration? So we should develop bhava for Krishna before we leave the body. And it's, it's not a big mystery, actually. We go back to Godhead even before we leave this body. Means, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, the creeper grows from the heart of the devotee through the viraja. When you go, when you cross from the material world to the spiritual world, you have to go across this river called the viraja. And once you pop out on the other side, then you're in the spiritual world. Even though you may still have a material body, your consciousness is now connected to the spiritual world. So we should be there at that stage before we leave the body and not just uh, leave it to chance. That's, oh, maybe I'll go back to Godhead. Prabhupada didn't talk like that. Even when devotees died, he said, well, if you were thinking of Krishna, you went back to Godhead. If you weren't, you take birth in the heavenly planets and then you'll take birth at ISV later on as a kid with a madunga coming out like, Haribo! <laughs> So it's a science. It's not like when I went to my grandmother's funeral and they were saying, oh, she's probably in a better place now. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? <laughs> Grandma, I'm rooting for you. Hare Krishna. <laughs> okay, I have a, a, a couple more points to make, if you don't mind. Do you need a break for two minutes beforehand? <laughs> not you guys. That's the word on the street. You guys don't take breaks. Okay. Okay, last one. Make it really quick, Prabhu. Actually, I should talk. I'm the one who makes it longer. You go right ahead. 43, 48. Maharaj. Yes, please. This question is related to um, dealing with people, uh, you know, in, in this material world. Um, we come across different kinds of mindsets or different kinds of mentalities among the people. Some of them are humble. Some of them are, you know, unfortunately, they have an attitude in this material world. I often see that. And then it just knocks me. Be being a devotee for quite some time, I, I feel that, you know, people should be humble and, you know, they should be sensitive to, you know, people's feelings. But unfortunately, we see in this material world, there is this kind of attitude, you know, or maybe I, I think sometimes it's arrogance. How do you deal with such kind of people when you come across them in close circles? Have you ever seen somebody who had an arrogant attitude or was 
fully invested in materialistic activities change and become a devotee? Just say yes. It's happened a lot of times. So that's how you should see people as for their potential. Because no matter where they are at now, and I mean, there are all kinds of stories. One was Haridas Prabhu, who was a, a professional thief. And when he saw a picture of Prabhupada, someone had given Prabhupada, and he never kept these things very long, but sometimes people give like an expensive watch, and a couple days later, somebody else would be wearing it. Uh, because, you know, he didn't, he didn't hang on to stuff. But the, <clears throat> the thief saw that Prabhupada was wearing a watch, and he thought, <clears throat> I'll go join that group, and somehow I'm going to steal that watch. And he sat in enough classes, that, you know, trying to act like he fit in, and then he said, oh, heck, I'm just going to be a devotee, and he surrendered. Yam <laughs> <laughs> Krodha kama sahaja pranayadi bhiti vatsalya moha guru gavu ravasevya bhava sanchintitasya sadrishim tanamapurete govindamari purusham tamaham bhajami. Brahma says people approach Krishna out of lust, anger, natural friendly love, all different types of ways, and they become purified. So humility means that actually I should look at myself. Make it your religion to examine your own faults. Don't worry about the other ones. They'll get rectified in due course of time. Best thing is to offer them compassion and an opportunity to become purified. They don't mean it. They're nice living entities. They'd rather be pure devotees, but they forgot. So we're supposed to remind them. And just like uh, just recently, I was talking to a doctor. And doctor had talked to a patient. And the patient was not in his right mind. And he became ornery towards the doctor, even though the doctor's trying to help him. He became ornery. So then we noted in the doctor that he wasn't disturbed because it's happened to him millions of times. You approach a patient and patient goes, ah! Here's the guy trying to save you. And you want to, it's like, get out of here! I was like, are you disturbed? And said, no, I'm not disturbed. He's not in his right mind. So devotees see others like that, that they're not in their right mind. And so those who are inimical, the Shastra says, uh, you don't have to mix it up with them immediately, but you should definitely maintain sat-achar, says Jiva Goswami. You should have the mentality. It's like, they should be saved somehow. Somehow we have to figure out how to help them. Okay, so I'm going to read a small section here, since you voted for no break, and I'll try to be succinct. Starting on um, 3.31.43, Kapiladev continues, Due to his particular type of body, the materialistic living entity wanders from one planet to another, following fruit of activities. In this way, he involves himself in fruitive activities and enjoys the result incessantly. In this way, the living entity gets a suitable body with a material mind and senses, according to his fruitive activities. When the reaction of his particular activity comes to an end, that end is called death. And when a particular type of reaction begins, that beginning is called birth. And in the purport, 
The last paragraph, Prabhupada writes, it is clear that a particular body is given to the living entity for a particular type of activity. This process is going on perpetually from a time which is impossible to trace out. Vaishnav poets say, therefore, anadi karma pale, which means that these actions and reactions of one's activity cannot be traced, for they may even continue from the last millennium of Brahma's birth to the next millennium. We have seen the example in the life of Narada Muni. In one millennium, he was the son of a maidservant, and in the next millennium, he became a great sage. Text number 46. When the eyes lose their power to see color or form due to morbid affliction of the optic nerve, the sense of sight becomes deadened. The living entity, who is the seer of both the eyes and the sight, loses his power of vision. In the same way, when the physical body, the place where perception of objects occurs, is rendered incapable of perceiving, that is known as death. When one begins to view the physical body as one's very self, that is called birth. Therefore, one should not view death with horror, nor have recourse in defining the body as soul, nor give way to exaggeration enjoying the bodily necessities of life. Realizing the true nature of the living entity, one should move about in the world free from attachment and steadfast in purpose. That's all of you. Endowed with right vision and strengthened by devotional service and a pessimistic attitude toward material identity, one should relegate his body to this illusory world through his reason. Thus, one can be unconcerned with this material world. Prabhupada writes in the purport, It is sometimes misunderstood that if one has to associate with persons engaged in devotional service, he will not be able to solve the economic problem. To answer this argument, it is described here that one has to associate with liberated persons not directly, physically, but by understanding through philosophy and logic the problems of life. And that ends uh, that chapter. I went to the pertinent parts that I wanted to discuss today in that section. And this awareness of a new body is called birth. You come out and it's like, hey, wait a minute. I got fingers again. Here I am again. Once you become aware of that, that's called birth. And the death means that the power to see and to utilize the God-given senses is uh, the warranty runs out and you, you can't use them anymore. Optic nerve no longer available. Other parts no longer available. And then you become unaware of that particular body. You forget about that body. It gets burned actually or thrown away somewhere. And you get a whole new set of circumstances, which takes us to 1122 uh, 38, which is so profound that once you hear this, you could freak out. So if you don't want to freak out, now's the time to take a break. This is called Elements of Material Nature. And it proceeds like this. The mind 
bound to the reactions of fruitive work, always meditates on the objects of the senses, both those that are seen in this world and those that are heard about from Vedic authority. Consequently, the mind appears to come into being and to suffer annihilation along with its objects of perception, and thus its ability to distinguish past and future is lost. Everyone okay? Okay. This, it gets better and better, so just hang in there. When the living entity passes from the present body to the next body created by his own karma, he becomes absorbed in the pleasurable and painful sensations of the new body and completely forgets the experience of the previous body. This total forgetfulness, for one reason or another, of one's previous material identity is called death. O most charitable Uddhava, what is called birth is simply a person's total identification with a new body. One accepts the new body just as one completely accepts the experience of a dream or a fantasy as reality. Just as a person experiencing a dream or daydream does not remember his previous dreams or daydreams, a person situated in his present body, although having existed previously to it, thinks that he has only recently come into being. Because the mind, which is the resting place of the senses, has created the identification with a new body, the threefold material variety of high, middle, and low class appears as if present within the reality of the soul. The self thus becomes the creator of external and internal duality, just like a man who gives birth to a bad son. My dear Uddhava, material bodies are constantly undergoing creation and destruction by the force of time, whose swiftness is imperceptible, but because of the subtle nature of time, no one sees this. The different stages of transformation of all material bodies occur just like those of the flame of a candle, the current of a river, or the fruits of a tree. Although the illumination of a lamp consists of innumerable rays of light undergoing constant creation, transformation, and destruction, a person with illusory intelligence speaks falsely, saying, this very light is still shining. As one observes a flowing river, ever new water passes by and goes far away, but still observing the same point in the river, a foolish person falsely states, this is the water of the river. And although the material body of a human being is constantly undergoing transformation, those who are simply wasting their lives falsely think and say that each particular stage of the body is the real identity of the person. A person does not actually take birth out of the seed of past activities, nor being immortal does he die. By illusion, the living being appears to be born and to die, just as fire in connection with firewood appears to begin and then cease to exist. Impregnation, gestation, birth, infancy, childhood, youth, middle age, old age, and death are the nine ages of the body. Although the material body is different from the self because of ig the ignorance of material association, one falsely identifies oneself with the superior and inferior bodily conditions. Sometimes a fortunate person is able to give up such mental concoction. 
by the death of one's father or grandfather, one can surmise one's own death. And by the birth of one's son, one can understand the condition of one's own birth. A person who has realistically, a person who thus realistically understands the creation and destruction of material bodies is no longer subject to these dualities. One who observes the birth of a tree from its seed and the ultimate death of the tree from maturity, after maturities, certainly remains a distinct observer separate from the tree in the same way the witness of the birth and death of the material body remains separate from it. An unintelligent man falling, failing to distinguish himself from material nature thinks real nature to be real. By contact with it, he becomes completely bewildered and enters into the cycle of material existence. Made to wander as the reaction of his fruit of work, the conditioned soul, by contact with the mode of goodness, takes birth among the sages or demigods. By contact with the mode of passion, he becomes a demon or human being. And by association with the mode of ignorance, he takes birth as a ghost or in the animal kingdom. Three more verses. Just as one may imitate persons whom one sees dancing and singing, similarly the soul... Although never the doer of material activities becomes captivated by material intelligence and is thus forced to imitate its qualities. Just as trees appear to be quivering by their reflection in agitated water, or as the earth appears to be spinning to one who has spun his eyes around, or as the world of a fantasy or dream appears to be real, O descendant of Darshaha, Dasharha, in the same way, the soul's material life, his experience of sense gratification, is actually false. So I just wanted to enter that into evidence. And um, in uh, the Srimad Bhagavatam, 4th Canto, 20, 28th chapter, verse number 1. You're still all okay, right? Are you all feeling liberated? Okay, 428. This is a metaphorical explanation which brings it even closer to home, the process of death, if you don't mind. From this chapter, Purunjan becomes a woman in the next life. The great sage Narada continued, My dear King Prachinda Barhishat, Afterwards, the king of the Yavanas, whose name is fear itself, as well as Prajwara, Kalakanya, and his soldiers began to travel all over the world. So this is a, a metaphorical story, which is Narada Muni talking to King um, Puranjan. And he tells the story of another king who got entangled in the material world. And the king had, in the story, had been searching all over the world to find a suitable place to enjoy. So he found a very beautiful place, and then, lo and behold, he saw a beautiful woman. And the th plot thickened, because they met in the middle of a, of a park, and there were birds singing, and flowers blooming, and he said, like, who are you? And she said, who are you? And so, where have you come from? He said to her, and she said, I don't, I don't have any idea, but I'm here now. And that was enough. So then they started a relationship, and 
it went through various phases. And they enjoyed together. They also got separated for a little while and had some fights. But then ultimately, in their, the course of their lives, they forgot that they were getting old. And then this is the stage at which Nard is describing in the metaphorical uh, context of, of how the, the city of nine bodies, which is the way the metaphor goes of the body, is getting attacked by these outside forces. And this is how death occurs. Are you ready for it? Okay. Once the dangerous soldiers attacked the city of Perunjana with great force, Although the city was full of paraphernalia for sense gratification, it was being protected by the old serpent, just the life heir. Gradually, Kalakanya, with the help of dangerous soldiers, attacked all the inhabitants of Paranjan city and thus rendered them useless for all purposes. When Kalakanya, daughter of time, attacked the body, the dangerous soldiers of the king of the Yavanas entered the city through different gates. They then began to give severe trouble to all the citizens. When the city was thus endangered by the soldiers of Kalakanya, King Puranjan became overly absorbed in affection for his family. Uh, being overly absorbed in affection for his family was placed in difficulty by the attack of Yavanaraj and Kalakanya. So the allegorical person is Puranjan, the real person is Prachinabari. When King Paranjana was embraced by Kalakanya, he gradually lost all his beauty. Having been too much addicted to sex, he became very poor in intelligence and lost all his opulence. Being bereft of all his possessions, he was conquered forcibly by the Gandharvas and the Yavanas. King Paranjana then saw that everything in his town was scattered and that his sons, grandsons, servants, and ministers were all gradually opposing him. He also noted that his wife was becoming cold and indifferent. When King Paranjana saw that all his family members, relatives, followers, servants, secretaries, and everyone else had turned against him, he certainly became very anxious. But he could not counteract the situation because he was thoroughly overwhelmed by Kalakanya. The objects of sensual enjoyment became stale by the influence of Kalakanya due to the continuance of his lusty desires, King Paranjana became very poor in everything. Thus, he did not understand the aim of life. He was still very affectionate toward his wife and children, and he worried about maintaining them. The city of King Paranjana was overcome by the Gandharva and Yavana soldiers, and although the king had no desire to leave the city, he was circumstantially forced to do so, for it was smashed by Kalakanya. Under the circumstances, the elder brother of Yavanaraj, known as Prajwara, set fire to the city to please his younger brother, whose name is Fear itself. When the city was set ablaze, all the citizens and servants of the king, as well as all family members, sons, grandsons, wives, and other relatives, were within the fire. King Brunjana thus became very unhappy. The city's superintendent of police the serpent saw that the citizens were being attacked by Kalakanya, and he became very aggrieved to see his own residence set ablaze after being attacked by Yavadas. Again, 
context. This is the experience of the body being overrun by old age and then uh, the fever. Every, everything's breaking down. As a serpent living within the cavity of a tree wishes to leave when there is a forest fire, so the city's police superintendent, the snake, wished to leave the city due to the fire's severe heat. The limbs of the serpent's body were slackened by the Gandharvas and Yavana soldiers who had thoroughly defeated his bodily strength. When he attempted to leave the body, he was checked by his enemies. Being thus baffled in his attempt, he began to cry loudly. King Parenjana then began to think of his daughters, sons, grandsons, daughters-in-law, sons-in-law, servants, and other associates, as well as his house, his household paraphernalia, and his little accumulation of wealth. King Parenjana was overly attached to his family and conceptions of I and mine. Because he was overly attracted to his wife, he was already quite poverty-stricken. At, that at, the same, at the time of separation, he became very sorry. King Parenjana was anxiously thinking, Alas, my wife is encumbered by so many children. When I pass from this body, how will she be able to maintain all these family members? Alas, she will be greatly harassed by thoughts of family maintenance. King Parenjana then became, began to think of his past dealings with his wife he recalled that his wife would not take her dinner until he had finished his, that she would not take her bath until he had finished his, and that she was always very much attached to him, so much so that he would sometimes become angry and chastise her. She, if he would sometimes become angry and chastise her, she would simply remain silent and tolerate his misbehavior. King Parenjana continued thinking how, when he was in a state of bewilderment, his wife would give him good counsel and how she would become aggrieved when he was away from home. Although she was the mother of so many sons and heroes, the king still feared that she would not be able to maintain the responsibility of household affairs. King Parenjana continued worrying. <clears throat> Is that right? After I pass from this world, how will my sons and daughters, who are now fully dependent on me, live and continue their lives? <clears throat> their position will be similar to that of, a, of passengers aboard a ship wrecked in the middle of the ocean. Although King Perenjana should not have lamented over the fate of his wife and children, he nonetheless did so due to his miserly intelligence. In the meantime, Yavanaraj, whose name was fear itself, immediately drew near to arrest him. When the Yavanas were taking King Perenjan away to their place, binding him like an animal, the king's followers be became greatly aggrieved. While they lamented, they were forced to go along with him. The serpent, who had already been arrested by the soldiers of Yavanaraj, was out of the city and was out of the city, began to follow his master along with the, the others. As soon as they all left the city, it was immediately dismantled and smashed to dust. When King Perenjana was being dragged with great force by the power, powerful Yavana, out of his gross ignorance, he still could not remember his friend and well-wisher, the Supersoul. The most unkind king, the most unkind king, Perunjan, had killed many animals and various sacrifices. Now, 
Taking advantage of this opportunity, all these animals began to pierce him with their horns. It was as though he were being cut to pieces by axes. Two more verses. Due to his contaminated association with women, a living entity like King Perenjana eternally suffers all the pangs of material existence and remains in the dark region of material life, bereft of all remembrance for many, many years. King Perenjana gave up his body while remembering his wife, and consequently in his next life he became a very beautiful and well-situated woman. He took his next birth as the daughter of King Vidarbha in the very house of the king. Um Tansat. So uh, these scenarios give us a, an overview of the life of someone who doesn't invest in his or her consciousness and Krishna consciousness. And it's a, it's a natural default mode to just become attached in the ways that are described here. And then this perpetuates the process because there's some facility prov provided by material nature. So we've heard uh, a few scenarios about the process of death, the psychology of one going through it, birth and death, and also the various technical aspects of the body developing and how it does so when the soul enters the body. And we will uh, continue death kata. <laughs> Two weeks hence, because next week is our um, meeting with uh, uh, Sankirtan devotees from all over ISV. We'll be reaching out to other uh, various departments at ISV to have meetings in the next um, several weeks to talk about um, uh, and brainstorm ways to improve in all aspects of our organization.